Holy Spirit, this is your word, and this is your privilege, because we're your church. And so we just invite you to speak to us, change our lives, change our hearts, change our minds, change our perspectives. Father, we pray that your spirit would just pour out on us. We pray for a fresh impartation, for a fresh anointing. Lord, set us free from religious ways of doing things. We pray, Lord, that your life would grow in us and expand us and connect us more deeply to you. Well, I've got a huge challenge today. I've got one talk to talk about prayer. And uh, somehow Jesus manages to do it. He comes up with these little pithy sayings. It's a few verses which translates into reams and hours and years for us, such as the Word of God. It's incredible. So that's why I needed to start with prayer today. Imagine for a moment that as parents, your children only behave rightly when there are other people around. Or just imagine for a moment how you would feel if your wife only told you that she loved you when her friends were around. Or imagine for a moment that your mum or dad only said anything nice about you in front of your friends, their friends. How would you feel about that? How would that make the relationship work? How real would that relationship feel if that was the case? Well, that's what Jesus is getting at in the next part of our series on the secrets of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, when he talks to the people about prayer. So let's just turn to that passage, Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to read to you the words of Jesus from verses 5 to 8. So Jesus says these, he said, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you, before (laughs) you ask him. So not faking it when you are with other believers is the main theme of Jesus' teaching in this section. It's about being the same person in public that you are in secret. And Jesus wants us to be authentic with one another, especially when it comes to prayer. And this passage isn't about prayerlessness either. That's not Jesus' concern here. It might be your concern or it might be my concern, but it's not Jesus' concern here. Jesus says it's when you pray. And the people that he was speaking to, the Jews, 
had no problem with praying. A devout Jew would pray three times a day, and still does even today. They would pray in the morning, they'd pray at the noon, they'd pray at night. And you can see from the picture, they've even got special clothes that they wear when they pray. They have a prayer shawl, they have a prayer book which contains prayers for every eventuality, for every moment of every day, for every day, for every uh, part of the year. There are prayers that can be prayed from their prayer book. And they have um, bindings around their wrists, bindings around their head, with little boxes that contain passages of scripture. So the ritual of prayer was and still is for many religious people a serious business. No, prayer wasn't the problem. For Jesus, it was the way that they prayed and the words that they used. Because you see, they completely lacked authenticity. So Jesus says when it comes to prayer, there are two kinds of people you don't want to be like, the hypocrites and the babbling pagans. We're not to be like the hypocrites in verse 5 because of the way that these people pray. The hypocrites, that word literally means the actors that wear a mask, perform their religious duties on a public stage, out on the street corner, at the front of the meeting, the place of maximum effect. These people, it says, they love to pray, but not for the right reasons. They just want to be seen by others. And literally that word seen is to shine. They want to shine for others to be seen by them for their applause. But it's really quite embarrassing because Jesus knows that when no one is around, they never talk to God and they have no relationship with him. They barely acknowledge him, so don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be like the pagans in verse 7 because of the words that they use. The babbling pagans. (laughs) People who mumble magic spells and know all the rituals and put on a good show. They can even work themselves up into trances and repeat religious phrases over and over. And some of them even cut themselves, self-flagellating in an effort to get noticed, not just by the people, but by God. But the words they use make no sense to them or to anyone else. They're not being real, they're faking it. Believing more in the repetition of learned phrases and words than in the God they purport to address. Don't be like them. Don't be like them, Jesus says. No, when you pray, when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And in this short passage, in this short verse, Jesus gives us three powerful secrets of the kingdom in prayer. The secret place, the unseen father and the things done in secret leading to the father's reward. And so today I want to encourage and inspire you to pray. Perhaps you feel like this is something you don't do very well or you don't do enough of it. Well, I want to change your perspective because I think that you pray more than you know. And I want to give you a kingdom perspective on prayer, which is that it's primarily about connection to the father which occurs in the secret place. So, how do we pray from the secret place? Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Go where no one can see you, no one can hear you. Go to that hidden place, that inside place, and get away from every distraction and pray to the one who sees you, your Father. In other words, make room in your life for prayer. 
And this is about creating a literal physical space. It's about making time and, and uh, even having a place to meet with God, being shut in with him. When it says close the door, the, the picture is there is a door that locks behind you. Go in, shut yourself in with him, shut out the distractions. And I hope you do that. I hope you do that. I hope you have those times in your life. And this is certainly Jesus' example to us. You often see him leaving the crowds and going out, especially at night, up onto the mountain to pray, hiding himself away in in some secret place. But there's more to it than this. Because actually, what Jesus uses here is a picture. Because he talks about a particular room. What is that room? What is that room that you go into, that you set aside? And actually, if you know anything about Middle Eastern houses, this is actually a very uncommon thing uh, to have an extra room. They wouldn't have had an extra room where communal living was the norm. (laughs) They would have had a downstairs and they would have had an upstairs. The downstairs is for the animals and the upstairs is for the family. And everything happens, eating, sleeping, everything happens in that room. And so it would have been a very busy place. There is no extra room. (laughs) What is Jesus talking about? Well, the word room is actually the word we would use for a storeroom, uh, an inner chamber, or even a secret room in the house, which according to one commentator was where the family treasures were kept. So if you like, it was a safe. (laughs) It was a lockaway place where the treasure would be put where the money would be put, where the resources, the valuables would be put. Jesus is talking about a place which is a treasure room. And I think this is a picture because I don't think Jesus wants us to shut ourselves in a cupboard to pray. He's using a picture because the secret place is not just an external physical thing, but it's about an interior internal, sorry, hidden disposition. Because as with all of Jesus' teaching in this section, he says we really need to be careful, he says that in verse 1, about any external observance that conflicts with an internal reality. Because you see, maturity in prayer can't be measured externally by length or frequency. I mean, the Jews, we've already seen, had a, a really organized prayer life. It looked really impressive, but they had very little internal reality. They didn't have a connection with the Father. They didn't even call him Father. They couldn't even mention his name in prayer. But our obsession is so often with external performance. One of my heroes, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, you may have heard about him. Well, some people asked him a question I'd love to ask, have, love to have asked him. He said, they asked him about his prayer life. He said, you know, I mean, Smith Wigglesworth, you're a man of faith. Uh, you, 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 you see miracles all the time. You've raised people from the dead. You've cast out more demons than we've had hot dinners. So tell us, how long do you pray every day? Because they were looking for his secret. It must be that. It must be the length of his prayers. And, the, and he replied to me, he said, well, I, I don't ever pray any longer than 20 minutes. What? Only 20 minutes? And he said, pause for effect, apparently. And then he continued, he said, yes, but I never go 20 minutes without praying either. It was a lifestyle. It was a connection with the Father. 
And you see, your prayer life can't be measured in minutes. It can only be measured by the strength of that connection with the Father in the secret place, which is cultivated deep in the heart of every believer. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here is the treasure room. Here is the treasure room that we can go to at any time. Here is the dwelling place of his presence. The place that needs to be cultivated. From this place, Paul tells us that the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, with intercessory groanings that can never be formulated into words or into a tidy program of prayer. It just kind of bursts out, it seeps out, it keeps coming up. And you see, deep cries out to deep. And that is the very essence of prayer. It's the cultivation of this secret place, this treasure room that I think Jesus is drawing our attention to. Because the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And it's because of this I say, I think we pray more than we realize. I think we pray more than we realize. If the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, you pray a lot more than you realize. Let me encourage you. Because I just want to break that sense of condemnation that always comes with prayer. I almost, well, I'm going to say it now, but I was going to say around the beginning, I'm going to talk about prayer, don't get condemned. Because so often that is the outcome of any talks on prayer. I just feel I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing it well enough. I want to just break that off you. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you pray a lot more than you know. You know, every time you turn your thoughts towards God, it's a prayer. Every time you think about a friend in need, it's a prayer. Whenever you're moved by something you see, whenever you feel pain, whenever you are sorry, whenever you hope, whenever you love, whenever you rejoice, it's a prayer. The Spirit moves you in that direction. He, 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 he draws you into it. You can't help it. Prayer becomes irresistible because the Spirit of God is crying. He's calling out from inside you and reaching up into that secret place where the Father is. Even those times, you know, when your mind is wandering. I'm trying to pray. Well, what about if the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to think about something else? He wants you to go over there and think about your family. He wants you to go over there and think about what's going on at work. He wants to be involved. The Holy Spirit is interceding through you and on your behalf. You know, the near, I was trying to think of a, an illustration, and the nearest thing I can come to on a human level is worrying. Anybody ever worry? Yeah, well, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't. It, and, you know, it's when, when we worry... Our minds keep going over something, and it keeps going over, especially at night when you're trying to sleep. Your mind's just going over and over, different angles, different ways. You worry at it. It's even a phrase that we use until a solution comes. Well, do you know what? Worry, worry is a form of prayer. It's a form of prayer, but it's to ourselves. (laughs) Because when we're worrying, we're looking to ourselves for the answer. The object of our worrying is wrong, and it needs to be directed to God. So in that time of even worrying, okay, I'm directing that to God, and it will change. It will open something up for you. It will connect you to the Father. Some of you 
uh, uh, born warriors. That's a spirit of intercession. I'm going to reclaim that. That is a spirit of intercession. Go with it and let the spirit connect you to God. Amen. Why don't we just wait for a moment? I just feel like the Spirit's here right now. Let's just wait for a moment. Why don't you just reconnect? Reconnect. I'm just going to pause for a moment. Reconnect with the Spirit. Go deep down into that treasure room. Just connect there. Can you hear the cry? Can you hear the cry of the Spirit interceding? Can you feel it rising up? Go there, reconnect right now. Some of you are just going to feel the presence of God right in your heart. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Be aware of his leading. Never mind the prayer rituals that have come and gone. Have you cultivated this place in your heart? What I found is the more you pay attention to that place, the more God keeps drawing you back to that place. The more he uses it. I want to say something, but I don't want you to think I'm boasting. I'm not. I'm genuinely not. I was driving somewhere on Thursday. I drove for an hour and a half, and the whole time I spent in intercession, irresistible intercession. I was aware of my heart. Pumping. I was unaware of the time around me. I was unaware of the journey, which is probably dangerous. But I got there from A to B, and I have no idea how I got there. I've been praying, interceding the whole time. I hardly had said a word, but I could feel the Spirit pulling, pulling me into the presence of God. Cultivate that place. Cultivate it. So does that mean then that we ignore the discipline of prayer? Well, I don't need to do that. I've got this. Does that mean that we ignore it? The formula, the rituals? Well, no, I don't think it does. But I think it means we have to reprioritize. So Jesus says, doesn't he, in the next chapter, seek first the kingdom of God. Put that first and everything else will follow. It will all come into order after that. We have to reprioritize and we must stop measuring success in prayer from external measures. Rather, we must pay attention to internal cultivation of his presence in our lives. We must pay attention to that. So make sure that you are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, so often we start to pray out of formula, but we haven't invited the Holy Spirit to fill us. I've learned this from Angela Kem. Before you do anything, she says, receive the Holy Spirit. <sighs> now, step out. Before you pray, before you prophesy, before you lead, before you go to work, before you get up, before you go out, receive the Holy Spirit. Walk in that consciousness. Seek those feelings every day and every moment of every day. And then pray in the Spirit. 
You know, so often, and we do this, we've done this a lot in the first meetings. I say, come on, pray in tongues first. Just pray in tongues. Go pray some more in tongues. Let's pray some more in the Spirit. Let's just pray. Let's get full of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll get to a certain point. We've been praying, I don't know, for maybe a, a couple of minutes. And I'll say, right, now some of you just pray out whatever was in your heart. And then you pray out like an interpretation of what was in your heart. Pray out in English what you've been praying in your tongue. You can do that in private too. Start in tongues. Start by just praying, just worshipping God. And then follow up after it and just interpret what God has put in your heart. That's praying in the Spirit. That's praying continually. And it can lead you, when you're focused there, where you're being led there, it can lead you into all other kinds of prayer as well. Seasons of prayer. I find those seasons of prayer or fasting or whatever, they're irresistible to me. I can't help but go to that place. I need that space. I've got to get away. I've got to go and spend some time with God. It's not because I've beaten myself up into submission and say, oh, I better go and pray. And if you've lost your desire for I've gone completely off script here, but if you if you've lost your desire for prayer, if you if it's become an effort and a drudgery, just stop doing it. Honestly, I mean that and say, Lord, this is the only prayer you're allowed to pray. Lord. Give me the desire for your presence. Give me the desire for prayer. And before you know it, you're in his presence and you're praying. Let's start differently. Put the formula aside. Come back to the need to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's more about keeping the relationship alive. That's what prayer is. It's more about keeping the relationship alive than the formulas and disciplines of prayer. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So this is how to pray from the secret place. That's the first thing. Now the second secret of the kingdom in prayer is knowing to whom you pray. (laughs) That's a pretty good thing, isn't it? Better know who you're praying to. Better know who it is. Well, it's the unseen Father, so you can't see him. So verse 6 again, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done. Your father. I mean, it seems obvious, doesn't it? You need to know who you're going to pray to. And you really need to know uh, who you're connecting with. And know is the key word in this. You need to know. You need to know him. You know, the pagans had no idea who they were addressing when they prayed. So they'd use really long titles to make sure that they were speaking to the right one. So, for example, their god, the emperor, was addressed like this. And it might like it might sound like I'm going into tongues here, but it's not. It's my attempt to speak another language. I'm going here. Here goes right. Emperor, Caesar, Galerius, Valerius, Maximus, Invictus, Augustus, Pontifex, Maximum. Germanicus, Maximus, Egypticus, Maximus, Tibacus, Maximus, Sematicus, Maximus, say that five times, Persicus, Maximus, say that twice, Carpacus, Maximus, holder of tribucan authority for the twentieth time, imperator for the nineteenth, council for the eighth, pater, patre, proconsul, and you've not asked him anything yet. 
They didn't know who they were talking to, so they had to use all of his titles just in case some other god or spirit got a hold of their prayer. Jesus, he says to Jesus, when you pray, said, just say Father. (laughs) You can say Father in heaven if you like, that's his address, but just say Father. Know who you're praying to. Because prayer for Jesus wasn't about a ritual, but a relationship with where God is our Father. <laughs> and that means, actually, if, if God is my Father, it means I'm one of his children. I'm his son or daughter. And although he is in heaven and he's unseen, he's, he's very close. He's very near. He's not distant. He's only a breath away. You've only got to say, Father. And there he is. And there you are in his presence. This is about knowing him, but it's also about knowing the kind of relationship we have with him. Because when we really know God as Father, we stop praying to someone who is distant and far off. And we can have confidence in our position with him. We come to him As our Father, we need to know. So this is the second thing. We need to know our position with the Father. Now, for example, I could say that I know David Cameron. I do. I've read a lot about him. I hear him speak all the time. There he is. There's Dave, my mate. I know loads about him. I've read books about him, seen newspaper articles about him, some good, some bad. I've seen his photograph, his, his TV. He's on the TV most days. I know Dave. But would I know him enough to ask him for something? (laughs) I could try, but I'm sure that if I did, I'd soon find out the true status of my relationship with him. But you see, as a son or a daughter of our father, we find our position is seated with Christ at his right hand. I've said this before, but I'm going to keep saying it again, because when we pray, it means that we do it on the basis of that relationship. We don't need to pray up to God somewhere up there in the distant galaxy or beyond it. We don't know quite where he is. No, we're seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. So if we pray out of that relationship, out of that place, all we have to do is lean over into his ear. Say, well, what about this, Lord? It's our position. Our position in Christ enables us to connect with the Father in that place. Do you know what kind of relationship you have with him? Do you know the position of favor that that gives you? So how would that, if you really got that, how would that change your perspective on prayer? The next thing I want to say is uh, it helps if you stick to your notes. Um, The next thing I want to say is please be real with him. Be real with him. You know, it's because of the relationship and the position that we have with him that we can be real with him. Not like the hypocrites. We can speak to him as you would someone from your own family. Now, I mean, you wouldn't put on a strange voice to talk to your wife, would you? Or maybe you would. 
you wouldn't use different words to speak to your mum. I mean, years ago, it was always thee and thou whenever you prayed. And then as soon as you spoke to them in real life, they'd just talk normal like you and me and probably with a brummy accent or something. You just talk to them, don't you? And if your relationship is good, you'd have no hesitation in telling them exactly how you feel. So why would it be any different for our Father in heaven? That people can pray all sorts of things that sound right when they speak to God. I don't know, perhaps it's the very word pray itself that is the problem. Perhaps we need to find another word other than pray when we're talking about our communication with God. Because otherwise it seems that whenever we pray, we seem to need to be careful about what we say. But you know, you only have to look at the Psalms to see how David expressed himself. And God described David as a man after his own heart. So I want to know about his prayer life. Here we go. Look, Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Psalm 142, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Is that okay? Yes, pour out your complaint before him. Don't gossip behind people's backs. Pour out your complaint to God. Pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble. What about this one? Would you dare to pray this? Now, there's some theological issues with this, but let me just say this. Psalm 3, verse 7. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break their teeth. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Do you know, I've come to see that a lot of what's said in the Old Testament is what we need to still get hold of in the spiritual now. Some of that aggression. We don't hate people. Our battle is not with people. It's not with flesh. But principalities and powers need their teeth broken. Something needs to, something new in intercession needs to come in this season. I divert. But you know, Jesus wants us to share our hearts with the Father. He does. Perhaps that's a better word than pray. I need to go and share my heart with my dad. We need to learn to speak from the deepest parts of us with real cries that come out of pain and difficulty. I mean, have you ever heard anybody in real pain? They don't hold back. They don't say, oh, 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 my leg's broken, but I'm not going to make a fuss. They just scream out. Or you hear a baby who's hungry. They scream out. They don't care what anybody around them says. Have you ever done that with God? Have you ever cried out in your extremity and pain to him? Because, you see, not to do this is actually being hypocritical. So when was the last time you really did that? When did you ever raise your voice with God? For me, it's usually by the beach. (laughs) That's the best place to shout to God. When did you last say to God what you really felt? I don't mean publicly. I mean, that may well be inappropriate. Certainly some of the things I've said in that context would have been. But in private, when it's just between you and him, when you're shut in with him, 
That's what it's about. And then when you pray publicly, you'll be coming from a place of reality. I just love the prayer that was prayed earlier. I'm not going to say the name because it will embarrass, but real honesty. That comes out of a real place. Even tears. Reality. That's what God loves. God wants us to be real and to say what we want. Jesus says that in verse 8. He says, your father already knows what you need. So the next thing I want to say, the final thing in that section is to be specific in your prayers. Be specific. Don't beat around the bush when you pray. You know, sometimes I get the feeling that our prayers aren't answered because we've been so vague with God that he actually has no idea what we're asking him for. Have you ever done that? Well, do you know, Lord, if you could see your way, it'd be awfully nice. It'd be great if you could, and maybe, or whatever, if it's right according to your will, blah, 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 blah. I said, what is he asking for? I want to give him stuff, but he's not asking me. James says, you have not because you don't ask. And then when you ask, you ask it completely wrong. We haven't a clue what you're saying up here. (laughs) And the other thing is, so many times I think God actually gets bored with us. I think he gets bored with some of our prayers. Don't be boring. You know, sometimes we take so long to get around and ask him things because we're kind of working out all our theology and whatever that we get, he gets bored and he kind of moves on to somebody down the road who's actually praying a much more passionate real prayer. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Jesus on one occasion compares the prayers of the Pharisee who prays grand and wonderful, theologically perfect prayers and then next to him is a tax collector and, and he makes it very clear which one God wants to hear. The tax collector's prayer is this, God be merciful to me, I'm a poor sinner. Oh, I'll answer that one. I'm going to give him some mercy. The Pharisee, I have no idea what he's going on about. In fact, I've got bored with it. Tell one of the angels to quieten him down. Honest, specific, filled with passion. I want to encourage you to pray like that. How would that change your perspective on prayer to know that God wants that kind of prayer from your life? Which leads us to the third secret of the kingdom in prayer. And it's the reward for the things done in secret. It says, when you go and pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And the contrast that Jesus is making here is between the reward the hypocrites receive, which comes from the praise of men, and nothing more is due to them. And then the reward of the believer who cultivates his relationship with the Father in the secret place, which God then sees and rewards. Well, what are these rewards? Well, there is another treasure room in God's kingdom. And we all have access to it when we pray. And throughout the Bible, you can see that it's called different things at different times. So Moses called it the storehouse of his bounty. Deuteronomy 28. 
Paul called it a place in the heavenly realms of all spiritual blessings in Ephesians. And John in the book of the Revelation saw in a vision the rewards of the saints. And he saw crowns. He saw thrones. And he saw positions of honor and realms of authority. But I think this concept of reward is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us. I mean, some of us even struggle with the idea of being motivated by reward, don't we? We're far too humble for that. I'm just doing this because I'm grateful, not because I want anything. Really? But look, I want you to get this. The Father wants to reward us and Jesus encourages us to pursue it. So whose problem is it then? If we are not motivated by reward. Or maybe it's because the concept of reward is hard for us to understand. It's far off, it's somewhere up there. You have to have heavenly visions and see things and all that kind of thing. So let me try something. I want to try and bring reward down to earth. So here goes. Cultivating our relationship with the Father in the secret place means, firstly, that we get to know him and that his presence is more keenly felt. How about that for a reward? His very presence. Whenever you stop to pray, the heavens are not like brass. There's an imminence of his presence and you know that you're there and that he's there. That's the first one. The second one is that as we get to know him, we begin to grow in the knowledge of his will. Because I know what he's like. I know his character. I know what's in his heart. He shares stuff with me. So I begin to pray differently. I grow in the knowledge of his will. And thirdly, as we grow in the knowledge of his will, we begin to grow in confidence because we find, according to 1 John 5.14, that whatever we ask for is what we get. Answers to prayer. We start to see answers to prayer. I'm not saying every prayer will ever be answered in the way that we think it will be, as Bernice was saying earlier. But there are answers and we can see them because we know who he is. We have a relationship with him and we have a sense of assurance and peace in what we're seeing. There are going to be mysteries that we never know the answers to until we get to heaven. But hear what I'm saying. And finally, that as we get more from him, we find something else, which is the greatest reward we can ever have on earth. Is that we find that we're growing to be more like him. I want to be like my God. Does that help? Is that the kind of reward you want? Well, it all starts in the secret place. It starts underground. It starts in the roots of your heart where only God sees, where only God hears, but then he rewards. And then what appears above ground, some of us then get to see and get to hear. And some of our heroes, some of the heroes that we love to to watch and follow and we're, we're inspired by, it's because they've done all that work underground. People like Heidi Baker. So What you're seeing on the surface there is years and years of digging out, spending time with God, 
just spending time in his presence. Reinhard Bonnke, Bill Johnson, whoever you want to read, to mention, they've all cultivated their relationship with God in the secret place. And so we all get the benefit, we all get the reward, if you like, of their connection with the Father. I'm, gonna, I'm going to finish in a moment, but I just want to say that one of the big strongholds uh, relating to prayer for Christians is disappointment. It's a stronghold. It blocks us from prayer. Because we think, well, if I'm going to pray, is he going to hear me? Is he going to hear me? What is the point? God wants to deal with that today. I really believe that he wants to deal with some of that disappointment. You see, prayer is not so much about answers. It's about reward. And the reward is his presence. It's him. His presence, his favor, his attention. And answers to prayer come out of the cultivation of that relationship. God is not a vending machine. Prayer in, answer out. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. So hardly any of what I've shared today, these three things, the secret place, the unseen father, and the things done secret, hardly any of this is to do with outward expressions of prayer or ritual. It's all to do with the hidden life, the hidden person who pursues God for himself. Amen.